Today we are going to explore a scene from the last chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And to do that, I want you to imagine yourself as one of Jesus' disciples. There you were, just doing your normal thing. Then Jesus flashed into your life and everything changed. He called and you answered. He led and you followed. And the more time you spent with him, the more you found yourself trusting him and telling people about him and investing your deepest hopes in him. And at some point along the way, you realized that you could no longer imagine your life without him. Your relationship to him had become fundamental to who you are. And then, suddenly and shockingly and catastrophically, you saw Jesus stripped naked, tortured, and executed. Publicly humiliated and murdered. You witnessed that. You saw it with your own eyes. That was on Friday and now it's Sunday. And your life has collapsed. Everything has fallen apart. And you're huddled up with your friends, hiding together in a room. That's where we pick up this story. Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking that they had seen a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything to eat here? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. 
When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Let's try to keep imagining what this experience must have been like for the disciples. And to do that, I want to ask you a question. It's a pretty churchy question, but try to take it seriously. I'm not asking it rhetorically. I really mean it. Do you think that Jesus Christ is alive today? Now, before you answer, I want you to think about a few things. First, and really let this sink in, except for Jesus, no one has ever been raised from the dead. No one. It's true, for example, that Lazarus was dead and Jesus made him alive, but after being resuscitated, Lazarus died again. And after that, Lazarus did not come back from the dead. He just stayed dead. But Jesus' resurrection is not like that. When the church says that Jesus was raised from the dead, it means that he is still alive. Alive as a man. As a man with a body. The same kind of body that you and I will one day have when we are raised from the dead to live together with God. Now, the question I'm asking is, do you believe that? And think for a second before you answer. Think about the billions upon billions of people who have ever lived. Every single one of those people, after dying, stayed dead. No one seriously disagrees with that. A while back, a famous philosopher, a Christian apologist, came to the college where I teach. He was going to give a talk called The Statistical Probability of the Resurrection of Jesus Christ from the Dead. He didn't end up giving that talk, but I wish he had. Because I can tell you right now the statistical probability that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. It's zero. Because except for Jesus, dead people stay dead. Which means that if you are a Christian, you believe something that is above reason and beyond proof. You believe that a human being who lived over 2,000 years ago died. And you also believe that he is still alive. Today somewhere. And remember that the disciples were not fools. They knew that dead people stay dead just as well as we know that dead people stay dead. And they also knew that the crucifixion could mean only one thing. It could only mean that they were wrong about Jesus. They had served Jesus 
and listened to Jesus and stood up for him. They had left their normal lives and decided to follow him. And now their identities are wrapped up in their relationships with him. But his crucifixion revealed that all of that had been an extraordinary mistake. Jesus was not who they thought he was. And now their lives were in pieces. They were shattered and in shock, disillusioned and empty. And they were not about to pretend otherwise. And to hear this passage, that's the first thing that you have to really feel. And here's the second thing. Jesus rescued them in precisely that condition. That is the promise that is embedded in this story. When did Jesus open their eyes and pierce their hearts and fill them with joy? When they were in utter darkness. When did he deliver them? When they were desolate and hopeless. Now, maybe you've heard a few sermons in your day and you can guess where I'm headed with this. If so... I bet your hunch is correct. I'm about to draw a parallel between the disciples and us today. What happened to them in that room happens to us. But before I make that point, I want to pause for a moment. Because maybe you have your thinking cap on, and maybe you're not sure if the analogy holds. You're wondering if it's appropriate for me to draw a parallel between the disciples huddled together in that room and our situation today. Is that a good analogy? True, they were in existential crisis before Jesus appeared to them, but after he appeared to them, they weren't. After he appeared to them, our text says that they were, quote, filled with great joy. And as Christians today, we live in the time of the resurrection, not the time of the crucifixion, which means that we live in hope, not in despair, in joy, not in sorrow. Isn't that what Christians are supposed to think? More importantly, perhaps, isn't that what Christians are supposed to feel? So the comparison with the disciples seems to fall apart. It seems like a bad analogy. And to that line of questioning, I would simply point out that while, yes, Jesus is alive, to many of us, it doesn't feel that way. Very often, it feels to us like Jesus is still dead. We drag ourselves to church and confess that he is risen, but inwardly, we struggle to keep our heads above water. Now, thankfully, not everyone feels that way, and I sure hope that you don't. But some of us do. We know what it's like to inhabit the ruins of a wrecked life. 
to feel abandoned and alone. We want to be full of faith and hope and joy, but we're not. Yes, Christ is risen, but we are still groping in the dark. And that's confusing. How can there be such a vast distance between what the church teaches and what we feel? Why won't the truth move from our heads to our hearts? From what Christian tells me, Renaissance is a really healthy church. So you know it's okay to talk like this. You know that serious Christian people do not repress these kinds of thoughts and feelings. But for some of us, there comes a point when the questions overwhelm us and we find ourselves sinking into the abyss. And the question for us becomes, what are we supposed to do then? What are we supposed to do when our faith is hanging by a thread and then the thread breaks? What are we supposed to do when we find ourselves unable to believe? How are we supposed to respond when the lights go out? And it's precisely here that the experience of the disciples converges with our experience. Here that we find ourselves in exactly the same position as they were. Like them, our need is absolute. Like them, we require divine intervention. We need Jesus to show up. Think about it. Salvation is something the disciples received. It is not something they created for themselves. And it's the same way with us. Deliverance from despair is something that we pray for and wait for. It is not something that we engineer in ourselves. In the meantime, of course, we do the things that healthy people do. Everyone knows that. We try to love our neighbors as ourselves. We try to exercise and eat well. We surround ourselves with friends. The list goes on and on. And we should do absolutely everything that we can to be healthy and wise. That is 100% true. But when everything is said and done, all of that is not enough. We need more. In addition to all that, we need God to show up and rescue us. From beginning to end, that is how Scripture describes our condition. And from beginning to end, that is why Scripture calls us to look to God for our salvation, to turn ourselves towards Him, to open ourselves to Him in prayer, and to wait for him to rescue us. Remember Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the muck and mire. He set my feet on a rock, and he gave me a firm place to stand. 
He put a new song in my mouth. That was the condition of the world when God became flesh. That was Jesus' condition before his father raised him from the grave. That was the condition of the disciples before Jesus appeared to them. And that is our condition too. So everything in this sermon distills to a single point. Jesus was dead, and now he is alive. And if that is true, then despite appearances, death and despair do not have the final word. Not for Jesus, not for the disciples, and not for us. No matter what it feels like, no matter how bad it gets, Jesus enters locked rooms. He rescues people who are lost in the darkness. That is what he did back then, and that is what he still does today. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>